let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Now, in the 31st chapter, we had the parting of Laban, Jacob's uncle, as he kisses his grandchildren goodbye, as he sets up the stone, and as he gives a heavy-duty charge to Jacob, saying, you take care of my girls and my grandkids, and if you do anything wrong, may God watch over you and take care of you. And so Laban departed with his hosts and returned back to Paddan Aram. And Jacob, chapter 32, went on his way, and the angels of God met him, Genesis 32.1. So he's just left the host of Laban, and he starts on his way again towards Esau, and the angels of God met him. No doubt this was very encouraging to Jacob at this point to meet the angels of God. Now it is interesting, it doesn't tell us in what form those angels were. We do know that angels did in many cases take on human form in the Old Testament. In one, what form the angels met him here is not declared, just that the angels of God met him. Angels, it seems, are able to materialize and speak to people. There's a pastor in Boise that declares that Gabriel's been visiting him over a period of time. But from the things that Gabriel has supposedly told him, I doubt that it's Gabriel. Now, we are told that we are not to believe every spirit, but to try the spirits if they be of God, 1 John 4, 1. And we are told that Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light in order to deceive. And Paul says, if an angel of heaven preaches any other gospel than that which you've already received, let him be accursed, Galatians 1, 8. So if an angel would come along and say, hey, God loves everybody and it doesn't matter what you might do, God will accept you and receive you and you don't need to pray and you don't need to come to Jesus Christ. Hey, let that angel be accursed. The angels of God would not reveal or say anything that would be contrary to the already revealed word of truth that we have in the Bible. So though I've seen an angel, though I've never seen an angel, I'm open for it. I would enjoy the experience very, very much, I'm sure. So there are angels, the scripture said, who have been given charge over us to keep us in all of our ways, Psalm 91, 11, sort of guardian angels. I do believe in them. Mine has been with me on several occasions and, and has helped me out. I'm very conscious and aware of my angel's presence with me on occasions and of his help. And there have been occasions when I turned and said, Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that one. You know, that was, that was really, you know, I don't know how I would have got out of that myself. But except that angels of the Lord delivered me, and it was very obvious that it was just the hand of the Lord that delivered. So Jacob met the angels. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host, Genesis 32, 2. He saw Laban's host. They were a rough host. But this is God's host, and he called the name of that place Mananaim. Verse 2. Mananaim means the place of two hosts. So it was the host of Laban and the host of angels. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, This you shall speak to my lord Esau. Tell him. Your servant Jacob says, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants. I have sent to tell my Lord 
that I may find grace in your sight. And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and also he comes to meet you, and 400 men with him. Verses 3 through 6. So the reception committee with Esau was on their way. So it was the third host now. There was the host of Laban that was very uncomfortable. There was the host of angels that was comfortable. And now there is the new host of Esau coming with 400 men. And that is uncertain. But it seems to be uncomfortable at the moment because the last time he saw Esau, Esau was threatening to kill him. Why would he want to bring 400 men with him unless he intended him harm? And so the news is disrupting to Jacob. He doesn't like the news that he hears of the 400 men that Esau is bringing with him. Now notice Jacob in this message to Esau is pointing out his own wealth in order to cause Esau to be comfortable, not thinking that Jacob is coming back to claim his inheritance, coming back to claim his birthright, coming back to take away from Esau or to try to take anything from Esau. I don't need anything. I'm very rich. I have servants, men servants, maid servants, cattle, oxen, the whole thing. And I'm now returning and the addressing of him as Lord. Though his father said, and your brother shall be your servants. Yet Jacob is addressing him as the Lord. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two bands. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and smites it, then the other company which is left will escape. Verses 7 and 8. He immediately begins to prepare. The first thing was just to divide the whole company into two bands, figuring if Esau strikes one while they are fighting and all, it would give the other band an opportunity to escape. And then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. Verse 9. Now Jacob, as he begins to pray, is immediately reminding the Lord of what the Lord said to him. How oftentimes in prayer I remind the Lord of what he has said. Lord, you said where two or three angels are, or where two or three are gathered, or where two or three agree, Matthew 18, 20. Now the Lord knows he said that, and I know he said that, but I just like to remind him that he said it every once in a while, you know. I like to remind the Lord of his promises. Now, Lord, you promised if we asked anything. And just remind him that, Lord, this is what you said. I didn't say this, Lord. You said this. And so Jacob is doing much the same thing. He's reminding the Lord of what the Lord said. Lord, you're the one that said, return, and I will deal well with you. Now, Lord, I'm returning, and here comes my brother and the acknowledgement in verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I have become two bands. Verse 10. He is returning now to the area where Jabbok enters into the Jordan River. And as he looks down into the valley and he sees the Jordan River before him, he remembers 20 years earlier when he was fleeing from his brother. All he had was just a walking stick, just his staff. Coming back now 20 years later, God has been so good and blessed him so abundantly that he has to divide his whole group into two companies of people, two bands. Lord, I don't deserve anything. I'm not worthy the least of your mercies. 
you've blessed me abundantly. When I passed over the Jordan, all I had was the staff. Now I've become two bands. Now, to give you a little idea of how large of a group he had with him, in his present to Esau, he sent to him 550 animals. Now, that was just a small part of one of the bands of animals. So, I mean, this was a big drive of cattle and sheep, servants and all that Jacob is coming back with, a wealthy man. And he attributes the wealth to God. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. And yet, look what you've done. And then his real request here. Deliver me, I pray you, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. And you said, again reminding God of what he said, I will surely do you good, and make your seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Verses 11 and 12. I do think there's tremendous value in the promises of God's scripture. And as we remind ourselves of what God has said, Lord, you said, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4:19. The Lord likes you to take him at his word, stand upon his promises. So the real prayer is deliver me from the hand of Esau. Now, the honest confession, I'm afraid, and it's an honest confession. It may be a negative confession, but it's honest. And I think an honest negative confession is certainly better than a dishonest positive confession. Oh, I'm not afraid. Everything's okay. And you're trembling. That isn't honest. Jacob is honest with God. I'm afraid that he's going to come and kill me. Very negative confession, but it was true. Jacob was afraid, and it's best to be honest. Honest, especially when you're talking with God. It's who do you think you're kidding when you're not really honest with God? He knows your heart. He knows what's in your heart. You're not fooling God at all. So it's best to just be honest with God, totally honest and open. I love a frankness with God. I love being just blunt and frank when I talk with God. I love to tell him exactly how I feel. I'm more open with God, I think, than I am with anybody else because I know that I might as well be. I know it's ridiculous for me not to be open with God. I know that there is not any hiding of anything from God, that everything is open and naked before him. And so any endeavor of mine to disguise or to color or to in any wise alter the true feelings of my heart are just absolute folly. It's just deceiving myself. And so a great openness with God a great honesty. Lord, I'm afraid. I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm just really disturbed over this whole thing. But God, I'm angry. I'm mad. I can't stand what they're doing, Lord. And just be honest with God about your emotions, about your feelings, and then God can deal with them. As long as I'm trying to cover and, and, you know, try to fool God and say, oh, it's all right, Lord. Everything's okay. I feel great. Oh, it doesn't bother me. No, no, no then God can't deal with the real issues in my life until I just get really frank with him and honest in my dealings with my God. So Jacob was honest, and then he reminded, as I said, God of his promise. You said, I will surely do you good and make your seed as the sand of the sea. Now, Lord, how can my seed be as the sand of the sea if Esau wipes me out? You see, that's the idea. You made the promise that I'm, well, you know, 
my descendants are going to be unnumbered. And Lord, that'll never be if Esau comes and wipes me out. And so he lodged there that same night. And he took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by themselves, and he said to his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space between the droves. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you, and asks you, saying, Who are you, and where are you going? Who do these animals belong to? Then you shall say, They are of your servant, Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he is behind us. And so he commanded the second, the third, and all that follows the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak to Esau when you find him. And say, moreover, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Verses 13 through 20. So Jacob prays. And then he does his best to set things up. Now, as I told you, one of Jacob's problems was that he felt that God couldn't do his work without his help. In other words, Jacob always was trying to help God out. Jacob wasn't a man to just trust the Lord alone. He was the kind of fellow who would pray and then do his best to set things up. He was a very wise and a very clever man. And he always was scheming, always conniving, always manipulating people. And this is just another one of Jacob's manipulations. Having prayed, rather than just leaving it there with God, then he does his best to help God work out the situation by setting up this whole appeasement program, sending out the servants with all these droves of cattle and sheep and rams and goats and so forth. So by the time Esau gets to him, he's sort of just overwhelmed by all the presents that he has received from Jacob. And he's hoping that the anger of Esau will surely be appeased by all these gifts. You say, well, God wants us to do something, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I do believe that faith is, I do not believe that faith is really a passive thing. I think that faith is active, and I believe that God does expect us to use our heads and use the wisdom that he has given us. But I do believe that God wants us to be trusting in him, in his ability to do his work. I think that too many times we get into problems where we shouldn't really get involved at all when we're just trying to help God out and God doesn't need our help. And so he he went the present over before him and he stayed that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants, that is Bildad and Zilpah, and his 11 sons, and he passed over the ford Jabbok, and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had, and Jacob was left alone, verses 21 through 24. I, I really feel that he had sent them all away so he could get a good night's sleep. Other th others think that he sent them away so he could spend the night in prayer, but that doesn't really sound like Jacob. He's a practical man, and as I said, he really is trusting in himself more than God at this particular point. Yes, he takes God into account. He asks God to help him, but then he does his best to help himself. And so I think that he knew that this has been a rough day. It's been an emotional day. 
Laban is upset and I can't go back in that direction. Esau is coming and I don't know what his attitude is. So, and then, so now he thinks, I better get a good night's sleep. Get all these little kids out of here because remember there were 11 boys and we don't know how many girls. We just don't know. There were girls also and they were all under 13 years of age. So a lot of racket, you know, a lot of kids and a lot of cutting up and a lot of playing and a lot of movement in the night. And Jacob felt he needed a good night's rest. And so Jacob was left alone. But rather than getting a good night's rest, there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he had prevailed not against him, verses 24 and 25, that is, this angel was wrestling with Jacob. Jacob would not give up. He could not prevail against Jacob. Jacob was strong, iron-willed man. And Jacob's weakness was also his strength. He was so strong, he was prone to trust and rely upon himself rather than to trust in the Lord completely. And so here is a night in which he really needs rest more than any other night. And rather than being able to get rest, the Lord sends an angel to wrestle with him all night long. But he still wouldn't give up. He still wouldn't surrender. And so when the angel saw that he would not surrender, he touched the hollow of his thigh and it went out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 25. So the angel deliberately crippled Jacob using the divine power. He crippled this man. Now, Jacob's one thought was always he could flee. He set things up so that Esau would meet the other company. If Esau was still angry and started to smite the company, then he could flee. And always in the back of his mind, if all else fails, run. Now, the Lord has closed that door of escape. He's crippled. How can he run? And so the angel touched the hollow of his thigh. The thing shriveled and became, and he became a cripple. God shut him off from escaping now. And this is what finally brought Jacob to the place of giving up. That's it. I've had it. Jacob finally surrendered. That which God was wanting him to do all along, surrender his life, surrender his will to the Lord, finally came with this crippling. But it took the crippling to do it. That's tragic. Sometimes a person's greatest strength can also be their greatest weakness. But Paul the Apostle, he was another Jacob in a sense, the guy with an iron will. When Paul wanted to do something, it was almost impossible to stop him. I mean, he was preaching in Lystra, and the people got angry, and they stoned him. They thought they killed him. They dragged him out of the town, even his friends thought he was dead. And Paul himself doesn't know if he was dead or alive. And his friends were gathering around his body, weeping over Paul. Oh, and the, the, the great soldiers of the cross, what a loss you know to the kingdom. And pretty soon, Paul began to move, stood up, shook himself off, and said, let's go back into town. Man, how do you stop a guy like that? You don't. That's iron will. But it also became a problem. For Paul was in Galatia, and he intended to go over into Bithynia with the gospel. He had a desire to get into Asia there. Oh, I want to go into Asia and preach. But God didn't want him to go to Asia. But Paul was determined to go to Asia. So God had to make Paul so sick, he couldn't get out of bed until he got Paul's attention. Paul said, where is it you want me to go, Lord? Over to Greece. Oh, but I wanted to go to Asia. Greece, Paul, but he was so sick, 
he couldn't go on into Asia. The Lord just put, well, he had to put him into bed. He had to, well, you know, I mean, he had to make him sick. That's so sad. But Paul probably could never have endured all of the things that he endured unless he had that great will. It was a great strength. But yet so many times, the natural abilities are the very things that get in our way in our attempt to serve God. And God has to deal with and bring us to a dependence upon him in all things. He doesn't want me to depend on my natural abilities. He wants me to depend totally upon him. And with Jacob, it took the crippling in order to bring Jacob to the place of surrender, in order that God might really do all for Jacob he wanted to do. He couldn't do it as long as he was this clever, conniving kind of guy. God couldn't do what he was wanting to do. And so he brings him to the place of weakness, brings him to a crippling situation. Uh, Jacob is surely not a good example for us. It's just a good illustration and a demonstration of what God has to do to some people to bring them into a complete surrender of themselves to God so that when God can take them and begin to work through them and they have that understanding, that deep understanding that I have to depend upon the Lord. And so the angel crippled him and Jacob at this point defeated, according to Hosea, began to weep and plead with the angel. You know, you have to hear a person's tone of voice many times to know what they're really saying. You cannot put the tone of voice in words on a page. You've got to hear it. And as we read the words on the page, it sounds like Jacob is demanding, coming from a position of victory or power, saying, I will not let you go except you bless me. So as the day was breaking, the angel said, let me go. The day is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go, verse 26. Now, it sounds like he's coming from a position of power. Not so. Hosea says he was at this point broken. He was weeping and he was crying. He, he was pleading. He was actually saying, in essence, please don't go without blessing me. I can't let you go unless you bless me, verse 26. I've had it. I'm destroyed. I can't run. I've had it. Please don't go without, first of all, blessing me. And so the angel said to him, what is your name? Verse 27, reminding him of his character, for his name was a reflection of his character. My name is Jacob. Verse 27, my name is heel catcher because I caught my brother's heel and I've been at everybody else's heel. I've been clever. I've been able to get, I've been able to get by because of my dogged determination. I don't give up. I'm a self-governed man. I'm the master of my own destiny. I'm the master of every situation. My name is Jacob. Your name, verse 28. And here's the blessing. The blessing is just the change of his name. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, verse 28. But the name change indicates the change of nature. You're no longer to be self-governed, clever heel catcher. But you're now to be a man whose life is governed by God, Israel. And it indicates the change of character. Actually, it is the new birth. It's being born again, no longer being mastered by self, by the flesh, but now being mastered by the Spirit of God, living now a life after the Spirit.
What a beautiful blessing. The greatest blessing that he could ever receive. It was the blessing that was to last the rest of his life. God wants to bless you. He wants to change your nature from a self-governed, independent, self-sufficient individual into a person who is relying and trusting in God, whose life is governed by the Spirit of God. And so the change in Jacob, the blessing, was the change of nature that God gave him. For as a prince, you have power with God and with men and have prevailed. Verse 28, God is changing your nature making you a prince, giving you power with God and power with men. And Jacob said to him, what is your name? And he said, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. Verses 29 and 30. Peniel means the face of God. And my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, The sun rose upon him, and he was limping, or halted, upon his thigh. Verses 30 through 31. He was crippled. The crippling was an experience that lasted his entire life. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, to this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Genesis 32, 32. So next time we'll go to verse 33 or chapter 33. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, Lord. Let us see the example of Jacob and let our hearts be changed by these words. Let us stop being a self-governed man, a self-governed woman. Let us be governed by God. Let us be governed by your will. Let us be governed by your wants and desires for our life. Father, bring us to the point of crippling us. Father, let us follow you completely. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.